Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. I've got a returning guest this week. Please welcome back, Ben. Hi, everyone. How have you been? I've been great. Uh, How about yourself? I've been good as well, just doing the usual magic stuff, comic book stuff, all that fun stuff. Awesome, yeah. So do you have anything you'd like to promote? Any Twitch, uh, YouTube, or website, or anything you'd like? Sure, yeah. I've just gotten back into altering after my semester's ended. Um, You can find me at Lightning Hold Alters on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Just drop by and um, take a look if you're interested. Great. I hope some people go check out your work because I think those that can do uh, alters are a rare breed because that's a, a really cool talent, I think. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's very it's very fun seeing the community around it as well. It's something that um, if you if you really look, it's there, and it's kind of a cool way for people to express themselves mm-hmm. uh, just by playing with their favorite cards. Yeah. Now, uh, how many black lotuses have you altered? Uh, <laughs> probably never. Hopefully, <laughs> that's a, that's sacred ground there. Exactly. I see sometimes there's some cards that I feel like, wow, that card's from a, from like original Alpha or or Arabian Nights or whatever, and people want to alter it. Well, you know, the original's quite valuable, but I guess they want their own little version of it. Right. I mean, it's unique. You're not gonna see anything like that that anywhere else ever. Um, it's it's risky though, and it's it's yeah. something you got to be definitely certain about before you take that plunge. Hmm. So our topics for the day are: we've got uh, we've got War of the Spark, which we uh, which we have the ability to play on Arena, and we've also got Modern Horizons, which at the moment you can't play on Arena, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Right. Right. Any general thoughts on War of the Spark? Um, War of the Spark is a very interesting set in that it got me back into playing Arena. I've been on a bit of hiatus ever Mm -hmm. since um, our semester started. I'm still a college student. Mm -hmm. And coming back out of the semester, playing some War of the Spark, um, getting those ranked matches has been a lot of fun. And it's been a very different different beast than when I left off. So it's it's been interesting, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. You came back for a set with a ton of planeswalkers and uh, some interesting mechanics and this whole storyline happening behind the scenes. Absolutely, yeah. So in uh, in War of the Spark, is there any uh, planeswalker that you're enjoying at the moment? Yeah, so being a set, I believe there's 36 planeswalkers in the set. I don't yeah. know if that counts Tezzard or not as a buy a box promo, but um, I played a couple different decks on Arena in particular. Um, mm-hmm. Vivian, the new Vivian, the mono green three mana mm-hmm. planeswalker has been very good for me um, in my red green kind of mid-range stompy deck. Um, I've been finding a lot of success with. And Gideon Blackblade is one of my favorite characters. He's also proved to be very good um, low-to-the-ground aggressive threat mm-hmm. that enters early and has a big impact on the game. So, yeah, how about you? What have you seen so far? I've also enjoyed playing with Gideon. Uh, I was actually um, part of the early access streamer event. Wizards of the Coast sponsored me and other people to play War of the Spark maybe like a week before the general public. So we got an account with uh, every single card activated and like 200,000 gems to play as much uh, limited as we could. And I made a deck that had Gideon in it with a bunch of cats and Oketra, and it was really fun. That sounds awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like how he turns into a creature. He's indestructible. And then he also gives your other creatures indestructible or lifelink. And then his ultimate is to just basically take anyone out. It's very interesting in the way that they've approached the new enchantment type texts on the Planeswalkers, leaving the rares with, I believe it's two abilities and the uncommons with one ability, but having that mm-hmm. always present world effect kind of going on. And Gideon's is is interesting because it makes a card almost better than you would see if he had a, another activated ability that let him turn into a creature. Mm-hmm. So I know people were complaining about that, that he didn't have three abilities um, when he was printed, like the other Mythic Planeswalkers. But mm-hmm. for me, it's only been a, a benefit. Yeah, I think all of these planeswalkers with their with their static ability really changes the game in interesting ways. It makes it more complicated, more interesting, and playing it via arena, it kind of as usual because it's a digital thing, it helps you a little bit because I've played it a little bit in in real life as well, and in real life it's much more complicated because not only do I forget what people's uh planeswalker static abilities do, but sometimes my opponents because there's just so much to to handle. Absolutely. But it does open so much more design space for Planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. I think we had a little bit of a period where they were very um, static. Like you'd have a Planeswalker whose uptick was card advantage, whose downtick was removal, and whose ultimate won the game. And it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's very repetitive. And I like the direction they're going with, especially with the new Chandra's they've spoiled. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. taken a look at those yet. It's very, really cool. Yeah, exactly. This design space, just like you said it. So like with Vivian, um, yeah, she's got, uh, you may cast creatures as though they had flash. So now you've got instant, instant attacking or instant blocking that is, uh, creatures when it's not your turn. So I appreciate that as, as someone that likes to play creatures. So uh, I, I haven't played much with the Vivian, this Vivian, but I liked the previous one, uh, back from M9. Yeah, people seem to, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, the old, old Vivian, the first Vivian they printed is extremely good. I haven't played too much with her in Arena, but even new, new Vivian with her flash ability, I don't mm-hmm. think people, really read the card a lot or see the card a lot because almost every game i've had it out and i've gotten to flash in a creature you can kind of see the opponent double take and read the card again which is yeah it's always a fun moment Mm -hmm. another card another planeswalker that i that i like is ugin the ineffable uh so this is just uh this is a colorless uh planeswalker six colorless mana and you get a four loyalty planeswalker his static ability is colorless spells you control or you cast cost two less so it can speed up your artifacts and that sort of thing he can uh, exile your top card which turns it into a creature sort of and when that creature dies you get the card so there's the card advantage minus three destroy target permanent that's one or more colors so it's got a got a little creature removal got a little card advantage uh, and colorless mana i think it's a it's a fun card yeah, I've also I've actually run him as well in my Gruel Stompy deck. And he's been slightly less impressive than Vivian, I think just because mm-hmm. of the shell. His um his static ability doesn't really apply to yeah. my game plan. But just by himself, you know, he's six mana to destroy basically any other permanent. Um mm-hmm. and if there's nothing to destroy, you just get that general card advantage, get a body, you get that card that the body's taking when the when the creature dies. It's mm-hmm. it can steamroll out of control, which is always it's always good. It's always good to see that on Planeswalker. Yeah, and when I went to the pre-release, the real-life pre-release at one of these local game shops, I actually cracked that character and um, actually pulled that Planeswalker, and I had it in my deck, and it worked really well because yeah, you've got right away. Okay, you pay six mana, and it can it can destroy one of their uh, one of their creatures, and in limited, that's always devastating when you lose one of your creatures, especially when you get to the point where you get to six mana, and then when you're building that little army of two twos, they can be chump blocks. And then that gives you card advantage. So he's definitely ineffable. 
Same. I believe I pulled him as well in my um my preludes pack. I think every game I played him, I think I won that game just because of that mm-hmm. recurring value. You he lands, he blows something up, and then you start making creatures, and if they can't deal with it, it's devastating. You said. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to put him into some artifact deck as well because he's he's got that cost reduction for for uh, colorless spells. Right. I've been brewing a bit of a Teshar ancestors of apostle commander deck for uh, paper magic, and I mm-hmm. believe he's going to be one of the threats in there. I'm oh, excited cool. to see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. Besides these planeswalkers, are there any other cards from War of the Spark that stand out to you? Sure. Um, I've really enjoyed Ilharg. Um, super fun card. Mm-hmm. Um, very much through the breach and standard. You get to play a Ronas. You get to slam Demanding Dragon. Anything with an Enter the Battlefield effect mm-hmm. can be absolutely devastating. Um, Rhythm of the Wild as well. Mm-hmm. Like you land Rhythm of the Wild into Ilhar, give it haste, it can't be countered. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to play with either of those cards. Well, I ha- I've had the pleasure of getting stomped by Ilhar, yep. <laughs> um, it definitely works well. You summon you summon that god, and then it brings another friend. Yeah, it's it's a really good card. I thought it was interesting how they, you know, they had all of the gods of Amonkhet, but then they didn't have the red one because he it survived, right? So then they put in right. Ilharg the Razebor, which is, the I suppose, the mythology that's going on with the Gruul clans in in Ravnica, and I just thought they kind of tied it all together. Every color gets a god, and every. what do you think about, however, the controversial position about that it can never really get killed? It comes back to the third uh, slot in your in your library. Right, so I was, I was going to comment on that. Um, I think it's very interesting. I know with gods, they always try to do some sort of like indestructible effect or some, some mm-hmm. other hard-to-remove type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very powerful. It's very frightening in terms of a, a power-level thing, um, especially in a limited environment. Yeah. I don't think it's a god's almost impossible to beat unless you have one on the other side of the field. And they're so well efficiently costed for their um, their size. Like Ilharg's a 5-mana 6-6 six, six with Trample, which by itself is already mm. probably playable, um, fringe playable, but especially with this attack trigger. Um, even the other ones are just so powerful, and having that much trouble getting rid of them can be maybe an issue, but it hasn't an issue as of yet, as what I've seen. I think they're mm. appropriately... Um, powerful enough for standard where they're they're good but they're not so good that they're dominant Mm -hmm. even if you do manage to get rid of them you have three turns perhaps to uh, get back on your feet before it comes back so it's not completely like game over as soon as it comes in but uh, they they are definitely more to deal with in a limited format so what i've been having fun with is vivian's arcbow which um it's a two mana green legendary artifact that says X mana, tap, discard a card, look at the top X cards of your library, and you put a, put a creature card with a mana cost X or less from your library onto mm-hmm. the battlefield. And so you have your god die, and then you activate your Vivian's Arc Bow, and all of a sudden your god's back. And I found <laughs> that to be very powerful, and especially at uh, instant speed, flash mm-hmm. it back in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't uh, I hadn't thought about that. I've tried to use it. I think I used it once in a limited game, and it never quite worked for me. But other people, I marvel when when other people can kind of make these things work. Where, where I don't quite get it, but now that you're saying that tactic, that makes sense as well. And it looks like you're getting good value out of it. It's a lot of fun. I'm even if I don't win a game, it just feels good when your opponent just can't get rid of it because every turn it just comes back. Yeah, yeah. This character in general, Vivian Reed, I thought it was a uh, pretty cool and her backstory and how she's tied with Nicol Bolas and everything. Uh, so she's like one of the latest planeswalkers, uh, first introduced in M nineteen, and then now in War of the Spark we have like ten brand new planeswalkers that we've never seen before. Yeah, I think that's really interesting as well. Um, I hadn't, I wasn't really a fan of 
I, I'm a bit of a Vorthos. I look at a little bit of the lore, and I hadn't really mm-hmm. followed Vivian's lore until I started playing her. I was a little curious just to see um, what kind of character she was. Mm-hmm. And her whole backstory is it's very interesting. It's very tragic. And mm-hmm. I, I do like a tragic backstory. I think she's a really interesting character. Um, I like the quotes a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Um, for you know the sound effects they do, especially for Planeswalkers, it makes them feel unique, it makes them feel special. And even if it's like a character they just introduced, having that little voice line whenever they're activated or cast. Yeah. Is, is really cool. I really do enjoy that. Yeah, the bells and whistles of Arena. I think they've done them very well visually and sound-wise. Uh, these quotes that they say, they... Uh, I think they fit with the character very well. The funny thing, however, is that I think visually all of their bells and whistles work very well to not distract, but I think their quotes, sometimes their quotes are very cool, but it's like easy to really run one quote over another because you just activate their um, their ability so quickly that they're not done finished saying their intro quote and then you're already using their ability and they're saying their ability quote. Have, have you noticed that? Kind of like they talk over each other a lot. My favorite instance of this has been I was playing against a Planeswalker deck and I had the the fortunate opportunity before they ran me over with all their card value to kill four Planeswalkers in one turn. <laughs> and it was, it was four voice lines over each other oh, and you just okay. couldn't understand what any of them were saying. Yeah, so I, I completely agree. <laughs> I think there's probably a better way to do that. But um, for now, I think it works, even if it's a little clunky. Yeah, I, I, it's just a little minor thing, but overall, I'm like 99% happy with the visuals and the audio quality of Arena. It's like, it's still hard to believe. T- technically, it's still in beta, but the, the, the app is just running so great. Yeah, um, I have a couple things that I've been wondering about Arena. It seems like I, I play Arena on both my desktop and my laptop, and my laptop is um, touchscreen compatible. And I've mm. noticed that Arena is completely touchscreen compatible. You can play it without using yeah. your keyboard or mouse at all. So I think that that warrants perhaps a mobile version in the future. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been wondering. I think that's been the rumor. Yeah, I, I hope they go uh, in that route. There's definitely a lot of people that they live on their on their tablets and such. So to get it out to more people, the better. I guess, however, you know, your laptop's probably at, at least 15 inches w- wide, right? So most tablets top out at 10 inches. So I sort of feel like getting it down to those dimensions for mobile, they might shrink it down too much or actually eliminate some of the interface, but I'm sure they've got smart people on the payroll trying to figure out how to move to mobile. Right, you know, it's one of those things that if Hearthstone can do it, I'm sure Wizards can do it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on on my point of view, one of the ones that I like as well is, uh, speaking of gods, I like Oketra. So uh, that one's an interesting one for me because... I kind of run a lot of cat decks, and Oketra is the cat god from Amon Ket, so she's an honorary god in these cat decks. And being a mono-white character, you know, she's, I guess, five or six mana, but if you're running mono-color, you should be able to do it. And she's got double strike, and then, of course, if she dies, she comes back to the uh, third from your top. But what I always forget is that when you also cast any creature, Oketra summons a 4-4 vigilant zombie. Right, with her stats already, she should be super playable and limited and constructed maybe mm. not constructed as much as limited mm. but um what's really nice about her is that she gives some longevity to some of these mono white weenie decks they go the mm. long game and you have a couple of catchers in your deck you land in a catcher you stop top you start top decking a couple like one mana one one mm. or two mana two ones and then all of a sudden you're making four mana four four or zero mana four fours with vigilance and mm. you get to stay in the game a little bit and i've i run one catcher just kind of was, i think i was play testing it a little bit i should be running more in my mono white deck as well mm-hmm. and it, she's just been so good every instance i've had her i've i think i've done very well in that game if not won that game just because of that value that she accrues over the time you know the, again like if you try to get rid of her she's 
she's back in three turns. She'll be back, yeah. I have Oketra in this mono white deck that I it's it's a fun deck. It's it's a cat based deck. So I've got in there a Johnny's Pride Mate, so when you gain life it gets bigger. And the way I make it gain life is I've got the Charm Stray. So Charm Stray, it's just a 1-1, one, one, but it's got lifelink. But when you summon more of these Charm Strays, it gives a plus one plus one counter to any other Charm Stray already on the battlefield. So living the dream is that I've summoned all four of my Charm Strays, and then I've got a 1-1, one, one, a 2-2, two, two, a 3-3, three, three, and a 4-4, four, four, and they've all got lifelink. Well, all of those are helping to make the Ajani's Primate bigger. But what I really like in that deck as well is um, my, uh, the Grateful Apparition, so it's a flyer, it's a 1-1, one, one, but whenever it deals combat damage, you proliferate. So those... It's that color-shifted yeah, throwing bird, I believe, is the original version that card in blue. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's cool that they're giving this ability in white, because in this build that I have, well, a Johnny's Pride Mate gets a counter, and the Charm Strays get counters, and I've also got Gideon in there, and he gets counters, so this... This com, uh, this uh, uncommon grateful apparition, I think, works really well in that mono white build that I have, and it's just cool to see all these little pieces coming together. Right, I can only imagine. Um, one of the cards that surprised me a little bit, and you can tell me if you run this or not in your mono white deck, is the I think is it, it's it's the card that came with the the Gideon Planeswalker deck. It's something like Gideon's Gideon something or other. It's a four Gideon's mana battalion, for, maybe. I think so, yeah. And you can put loyalty counters on a Gideon Planeswalker for a certain cost of mana. I think it's four mana. And whatever you gain life, put two plus one plus one counters in it. So it's kind of like a, a bigger Johnny's Pride mate. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very interesting because I don't think I've seen a lot of play from these Planeswalker deck creatures. And for some reason, I've seen that card a lot mm -hmm. being played in the, again, that's a Johnny's Welcome, a Johnny's Pride mate, Healer's Hawk type decks. It's, yeah. it's been very powerful in my experience. Yeah, I found it here, Gideon's Company. Um, but yeah, yes. it's exactly that, that it, it gets bigger. And um, th that's the funny thing about these Planeswalker decks, that they're made sort of like a little bit more for beginners. But once in a while, there there are some cards in there that that do see more general play. Like, yeah, the Gideon's Company, I've seen it a f few times in mono-white decks. And there's that one other something griffin that's too... It's, you know, white-white, and it's a 2-2 two -two flyer. That one came with the Planeswalker decks, and I see that so commonly in these uh, in these mono-white decks. So people shouldn't discount the uh, Planeswalker decks as simply just, you know, an intro product. Right, I mean, they've got some, some playable stuff for sure every once in a while, and... I wouldn't take it to standard F and M and expect to do no. well, but you know some of those cards are aren't aren't too bad. Yeah. So in general, uh, on a scale of uh, one to ten, how much are you liking War of the Spark? Um, I'd say in in um standard and limited, probably an eight or nine out of ten. It's a very powerful limited environment. It's a very fun standard environment. Um, it's more interesting than the ones we've seen in the past. I really like the inclusion of these new planeswalkers. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to talk as much about eternal formats, but I really, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Narset. I think she's very, very powerful, and she's a lot of fun to play, but mm -hmm. she's almost too much in some circumstances. I don't know. It's She feels very, um, was it Leovold was the mm, card sure. that got Bandit Commander? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple in in War of the Spark that really affect your opponent. Yeah, Narset. Opponents can't draw more than one card. And there's another one. I think it's uh, Ashiok. Ashiok, yeah. yeah. Opponents can't search through their libraries. So those two in a deck uh, could be pretty oppressive. 
Yeah, I mean, if they reprint reprint Fetchlands in Standard at any point in the near future and Ashiok's in Standard, that card's going to see play because that card is so good against any sort of Eternal Fetchland type mana base. Mm -hmm. And speaking of like voice acting and all of that, I think Ashiok has one of the best, you know, lines and and delivery in the in the Planeswalkers. It's it's like a very mysterious, raspy voice. Yeah, I really like the voice actors, especially for Arena. Um, some of them don't quite hit their mark. Um, Gideon sounds very different than how I thought he would sound in my head, but mm -hmm. I do agree. Ashiok, uh, I agree. I really like Davriel. I don't know if you've heard him yet. He's got a very yes. kind of uppity British accent. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah and Davriel is another card that I like running as well. Uh, it's funny because that one's one of the examples of an odd number planeswalker with loyalty points but the uh ability the 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 downtick ability is an even number so you never quite use up that planeswalker and it just hangs around and does its thing right right obnixilis is another one i think he's got sort of like a i suppose like some sort of like eastern european or like russian accent i think i hear in him maybe i have to i'll have to play against him more often i haven't i haven't heard him in a while i think you're right though i think he does have a little bit of an accent to him Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if anyone has put together a supercut on YouTube of all of the Planeswalkers saying their quotes, because I, I gotta, I gotta hear them all. On Reddit, I think there's actually a file someone posted about a month ago with all the, um, they ripped all the voice files from oh, okay. the arena and kind of like just post them all in a video. So I think there is one out there. Um, if you do a little digging. Mm -hmm. Cool. I gotta look that up. So for myself, I'm also enjoying War of the Spark overall pretty well. Uh, I'm putting together on paper, I'm putting together a new commander deck. And usually what I do is I, I just go back to my cards that I've got already in my collection. I usually don't go out of my way to, to get too many, you know, specific cards for a deck because I've got already too many cards. So let's use them. <laughs> so I'm putting together some of these new planeswalkers. I have in there, uh, Narset and Ashiok and, uh, Davriel and Obnixilis. So I'm doing a Demir deck in, in commander. And I've got oh, uh, Atrata, the the silencer, as the as the commander. Oh no, she's interesting. I really like her. She's cool. Yeah, I have a deck that I've used several times through these various seasons. That uh, like two seasons ago on Arena, I thought this deck, uh, this Atrata deck that I had, got me pretty far. But nowadays, it just doesn't seem to work because it had, let's see, Night Veil Sprite, which is a little flyer that attacks and it surveils. Well, every time you surveil, I've also got this one. Uh, what's it called? Phantasmal something. It's this one wall. It's a 1-1 one, one wall that gets bigger every time you surveil. And eventually when it's a 4-4, four, four, it can attack. And I got some counter spells. I think it's in the card. Yeah. I just feel that the that the deck used to work like two months ago. And, and now it just doesn't, it's just not really competitive. I'm trying to climb the ladder anymore. I don't know. Um, I guess maybe the power level shifts a little bit. And I think favor over some of these either very fast burn decks or these control decks. You see a lot of super friends, Bant super friends, um, mm -hmm. hero decks. The Feather Heroic has been a really interesting deck to watch and to see succeed, which is nice. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of your EDH deck, are you running the Sundial of the Infinite with Etrata? Uh Probably not, since it's a little bit of an older card, right? When did it come I believe out? so, but um, with Sundial... It's kind of a little bit of an in, uh, interesting tech here. I've used it a lot in some of my decks where you have perhaps negative um, end of turn effects, right? With the Trata, no, she shuffles okay. back into your library. Mm -hmm. But with the Sundial trigger on the stack, um, I'm not sure if this works the way it does. I haven't read a Trata in a while. But um, I believe there's a way you can set it so that a Trata will not shuffle back into your library and a Trata will stay in the battlefield and you'll just end your turn mm. as that trigger goes on the stack. 
Okay, yeah, I've got it up that yeah. sundial. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, I think I have seen it. it I, I hadn't remembered it very well, but now that I see it, okay, yeah, I don't have a copy of that. Uh, apparently, it's from M12 or so, but that might be really cool, actually, because exactly, you end your turn, and her uh, ability is at the end of turn, shuffle it back to your library. So probably because it says and until end of turn effects end. So yeah, there's probably a way to kind of cheat that so she doesn't shuffle back into the deck. At the very least, you can have her shuffle back or go back to your command zone instead of shuffling back to the library. Right, stuff like that. And um, time stop is another one where you can use it in your opponent as well. There's a lot of really cool effects you can do um, with those end of turn things. Like I used to run a Geist of St. Traff tempo commander deck. I had a Zero of the Claw commander deck. Anything that has that end of turn effect, Sundial is very powerful. I think it's almost underrated for how good it is. So I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that. I know you're not going to pick up too many cards, but that's definitely one to keep your eye on if you're interested. Yeah, I think that might work. So yeah, I'll make a note of that. And it's probably not even that expensive, right? Because the ability is so niche. Uh, $5, well, not too bad. But um, that might work in the deck. Yeah, thanks for the tip. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of fun with it, and I hope it, it brings you success because mm-hmm. it's, it's a great card. What I want to do just totally for fun is... Uh, so I played a lot of uh earlier in in the 90s and one of the sets back then was uh, ice age and so there was uh this mechanic of uh cumulative upkeep so you had to keep paying for your permanents more and more every turn or else they they get discarded well there was a, a an artifact i think in miradin or miradin besiege uh where it uh, basically says you skip your untap or you skip your uh, upkeep s- step so cumulative upkeep would make your things more and more expensive every time during your upkeep. So I want to make uh, some sort of deck that has that skip your upkeep so I can make all those cumulative upkeep uh, spells finally work right. Right. I mean, even small, small things like Mr. Grimora, see regular playing commander, yeah. super powerful effects. And honestly, yeah, that sounds like an interesting plan. The only problem is that I always forget what is the name of that artifact. And then I got to do the research again <laughs> to find it again. But uh, I'm going to get it one of these days. Well, the other set du jour at the moment is now Modern Horizons, which at the moment isn't on Arena, and uh, fingers crossed that it get, makes it to Arena. But if not, you know, we can still play it in real life. Uh, any general thoughts on Modern Horizons? Sure, I've, um, I've got a couple. Um, I really like the set. I think the set's really cool, but as other people have voiced opinions, I don't think it's the modern set they advertise i think it's it's definitely like a time spiral 2 type thing which mm-hmm. for me i like that almost more than having another modern set it gives me more fun things for commander um it's super interesting a lot of new mechanics a lot of returning mechanics mm-hmm. um a couple a really interesting solution i saw for arena would be and this, this brings to light another point about arena but you have modern horizons right which is a set that maybe is a little too powerful for what's happening right now in arena mm-hmm. but just as mtgo does they could have ghost drafts where you get to draft the cards and play these drafts and then at the end you don't keep the cards but the mm. draft's a little cheaper in the beginning just to offset that that cost mm-hmm. yeah um, i think i read about that as well and i think that'd be a great idea you have what's the total number of cards 254 cards so you'd have to program them in their various effects but that'd be really cool to have this these low cost uh, phantom drafts where you don't keep anything but you get to play with all these like weird cool cards Right. And it brings to light another thing about, so they have these cards in Arena. Um, I don't know if you 
I can't remember from our previous conversation if you played it all during the the beta. Like our was it alpha? I don't know. But when the arena was first released, we had Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation as sets we yeah. could use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. seeing a standard rotations happening sometime in the fall, I'm wondering what's going to happen to these. I think Exelon and Rivals of Exelon are rotating out. Yeah. And we have these cards that are programmed into the, the I guess the the game and. It'd be kind of a waste to just see them go. So I'm wondering if Wizards might introduce some sort of new format kind of based around what cards are legal and playable in Arena. Maybe just, just for Arena, but yeah. maybe more of an eternal format. That could be interesting. Just a thought to put out there. But yeah. I'd love to see something like that. Yeah, me too. They programmed in... They started it in... Um, in Ixalan block, I believe, and then they went back and programmed back in, they went back as far back as Kaladesh. So everything that was in standard for a while, they programmed back in. And then after the rotation, well, uh, our devastation left and Amonkhet and Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. So now we've got everything from Ixalan forward. And yeah, the rotation's coming at the end of this year. So it would be a shame to lose all those cards that got programmed. Maybe it'll be some sort of arena modern format or, you know, modern 2.0 format. Right. And I think we could start maybe see on the horizon, no pun intended, some sort of new... <laughs> modern format where we have because modern was introduced in what 2002 2003 yeah. and it's mm-hmm. it's an old format and it's a fast format it's not i don't think it's what they intended it to be anymore with these super fast turn two turn three combo deck kills if you watch any of the new cards in modern horizons like hogak and scale up are super powerful and they're mm-hmm. really good but it's almost it feels more like a, a legacy-esque format where you start seeing these free spells and you start seeing this huge card pool where I think we definitely might see some sort of new uh, wizard-sanctioned eternal format. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's a, a possibility, but I'd love to see um, a, maybe a new format try to make waves change the things up. I think they probably have something uh, planned because the company, on the one hand, seems to go its own way, but overall they do follow a lot of what the community Uh, talks about or complains about or likes so i'm sure they're going to to do something because it's been uh over a decade since modern debuted so i think it's time yeah and um a suggestion i saw and i don't know why brawl is not on arena yes if wizards Wizards wants to push a format that's singleton and based around commander and not put it on arena which is like their premier place to play standard i think online i i have no i have a loss for words for that um, yeah but speaking yeah. yeah speaking of new formats i don't know if it's this has reached the west coast yet but have you heard of oathbreaker i have yeah it's uh been actually brought up in the card club that i'm a part of at the college so yep it's starting to gain traction you know the the, the professor over at telerian community college did a video about it and more people are talking about it i think it even was mentioned on a special episode of the command zone and so it's starting to uh to gain some traction right and i've, I've seen those videos as well um so I'm, I'm the club president at our at our um club down over here at saint mary's mm-hmm. and we've started playing the format um it's a lot of fun. It's very powerful, but it's a more of a gentleman's agreement. I think that we've had where no one's really trying to break the format. Mm-hmm. I know. I think there's a little bit of a, a cautiousness based around people getting burned before in terms of frontier mm-hmm. um, brawl. 
tiny leaders, stuff like that. But I think this is a format that could have some legs, and I'm excited to see where it goes because it's a lot of fun. If you haven't played any games yet, I definitely recommend it. Yes, um, I think probably as the as the new semester starts up, we'll give it a shot. We actually had our, our first uh, brawl. A uh, little tournament thing at the end of the semester. We we finally did uh, an event for that, so I'm sure Oathbreaker's coming soon. That's exciting. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I definitely have to recommend it. Mm-hmm. I think the the only issue with any of these formats, if they don't catch on, well, uh, the, no big deal. You know, if you have the agreement with your playgroup to try it out, it doesn't matter if the if it didn't catch on with the rest of the world, because in your playgroup you can still give it a shot and still enjoy it. Right. No, absolutely. That's a great point. Like, you don't have to play wizard sanctioned formats all the time. If you and your playgroup have some sort of cube or block constructed or kind of fun, janky thing that you put together, mm-hmm. I think that's that's great. I'm going to uh, propose in the group to do a brand new sort of format. I'm sure someone's already thought of this. Like, I can't believe no one else did. But here's the thing. you have It's still a 60-card deck, but you have your lands in one pile, and you have your spells in another pile. So whenever it's your turn, you can decide to either draw from one of the two piles and then play something that turn. So that way you never get mana flood or mana screw because you decide when you can get a land or not. Now that sounds really, really interesting. I think I've, I think I've, I've heard of. I don't know if it's a card game that's done that before, but I, I've heard of the concept of having two decks in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever heard of BattleBox? Possibly. What? What? In in what terms do you mean? So BattleBox. Um, I don't know if this is the true definition of BattleBox, but it was a format that we played um, down where I am, where you have a kind of a janky deck full of really strange spells. Um, that you wouldn't really see in play anywhere else. But at the beginning of the game, you have a pile outside of your deck where you can put a land from that pile onto the battlefield. So I believe it was the, uh, the each one of the cons gained lands. So you had 10 different lands you could play mm-hmm. and based on what was in your hand. So it was a little bit of, yeah, getting rid of that mana flood or mana screw aspect of the game, which I do think is, is important in terms of like greedy deck building can sometimes punish those decks that try to be unfair, mm-hmm. which, excuse me, it might be... A good thing in the long run, but I do like the idea of branching out to other formats and other ways of playing the game. I listen to Mark Rosewater's podcast a lot. You know, one of the one of the big wigs in Magic, and he says over and over that it's like Magic is not one game; it's a general framework of general rules that can be changed in a variety of ways because people want to play Legacy or uh, Modern or Cube or Commander or whatever. So, yeah, Wizards has put out this great game that is many things to many people, and. You, if you think of an interesting new format with your playgroup, then it's totally valid. It just go on and play. And that's, I think, one of the very special things about Magic that keeps it so relevant all the time is that you can play it however you want. It's mm-hmm. one of those things where once you have the concept of the game, it's not particularly difficult to teach sit down and teach someone how to play Magic in half an hour to an hour. And then mm-hmm. it's hard to master, right? It's easy to learn, hard to master, which is... Mm-hmm kind of the mark of an excellent game and having design space and color pie in the structure where you don't break the cards cards aren't like other card games might have cards where there's this general um, increase in power level I think magic is very good at maintaining a certain threshold where they'll lower the power level of every couple of sets and then slowly build it back up again mm-hmm. um, which makes for an interesting standard makes for um, interesting card design and it lets other strategies be 
um, we'll get the limelight every once in a while. You don't have everyone playing Death Shadow all the time because yeah. there's no one best deck. And I think that's mm-hmm. what makes the game so special in terms of I don't play like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, but I've definitely heard of other card games having that issue. Mm-hmm. In Modern Horizons, we get like an injection, I think, into pretty much every format. Uh, is there any card specifically then that stands out to you that you would like to include in any decks? So um, I'm pretty hyped for the new Horizon Lands. I know that's kind of a boring answer. There's a couple <laughs> other cards I think are interesting, but I love the idea of giving red, white, more card draw. I love the idea of introducing more Horizon Canopy type lands into the format, um, making it cheaper to get Horizon Canopy type effects. Mm. Um, I love that land. I love its design space. The new Sisse seems really interesting. I'd always wanted to build some sort of legendary tribal, and now I can. Um, and Urza seems very powerful. And there's a host of other cards that I really like. But um, how about you? What have you been looking at or brewing with? So what I like overall about the set is that there's just so many callbacks and nostalgia. And uh, there's one uh, Headless Spectre. So it's a, a single generic mana and then black, black. It's a creature, Spectre. It has flying. It's a 2-2. Two, two. But it has Hellbent. Whenever Headless Spectre deals combat damage to a player, if you have no cards in hand, that player discards a card at random. So this harkens back to the totally uh, original early card Hypnotic Spectre, which was basically the same mana cost. It was also a 2-2, and it would have your opponent discard cards from their hand. One of the archetypes that I that I like playing, you know, it's too mean and all of that, but I like having people discard cards from their hand. So this harkens back to that original one, but with a little bit more safer in terms that you have to be hellbent, meaning you don't have any cards in hand before it actually has them discard their own cards. So I like it as a right, sort of... Right, that seems very, very, very kind of specter, not niche, but definitely a specter type thing. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like that um, the design space. And like, I'm looking at the card now and I always got to love, they remind me of the Lord of the Rings ring, ring waves, <laughs> whenever you see them on their, their flying dragons. Or, yes specters i guess now what's this thing flying it looks like a like a huge uh termite what's it flying on top of a huge flea kind of creepy (laughs) and then it's got you know it's headless just like uh the headless horseman but there did you know that there actually is a card called headless horseman from way back in the day i think i've i've seen that I, i know older cards tend to have more references to um real life events like i think there's some shakespeare quotes and some of the flavor text of um, older cards. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I have heard of the Headless Horseman. Do you know if the... I'm trying to remember. There's a card in Standard. I can't remember the name of it. It's, the, it's a one of any color, blue, black, 2-2 two, two flying, whatever it hits you. Um, exile a card from the top three cards of an opponent's library. You can cast that card for generic yeah, mana. Do what's you, that one called? Um, I do have it in a deck, but I, I don't quite remember its name. But it's the one that's... Is it Grasping Something? It's the name Grasping Something? Because its hand is outstretched grasping. No, oh, it's not, I can't it's remember, not grasping. It's, is that a specter? I think it has kind of that specter generic art where it's on the back of that winged creature. Uh, I don't... Oh, Thief of Sanity, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. that sounds right. Yes, you have sanity. Yeah. Yeah. It is It is a Spectre. That's fantastic. Okay, that's so cool. Yeah, that whole... They've made these sort of archetypes throughout the years about uh, goblins are often like this, or elves are often like this, but they had this subset of Spectres, which often are about having them discard a card or have or you stealing a card. Right, and it's, it's good to see a tribe kind of keep to that um, motif, which I, I don't know. I like that. I like that about the tribe. I kind of want a... To be your Spectre Legendary now would be kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. So you could run that in some sort of 
um, tier three EDH deck of some sort. I don't know. It seems fun. Did you hear the joke that in this set we finally got a mutant ninja turtle? I think I. Oh, is that the um, the new oh legendary creature? No, because every every changeling, every shapeshifter is every creature type at the same time. So every changeling that we've got in the set is a mutant ninja turtle. Oh, that's true. I mean, didn't we have uh, mutant ninja turtles before though? We had a couple of changelings sitting around. No, we finally have a legendary changeling, which is kind of cool. Yes, exactly. Morophon, that big one that everyone can't wait to brew with. Seems like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot to choose from in this set, I think. A lot of callbacks, a lot of one-of effects that would work well in another deck. And, uh, you know, that living the dream would be that we have get some version of Modern Horizons in Arena. I would love to see something like that. Some sort of more complex mechanics, um, a greater design space. Because right now, it's standard. And I know standard's a lot of fun, but people do not like the rotating format. I think come this winter when their cards rotate out of their, some of their favorite decks, people are going to be understandably upset, right? Yeah. And they're going to lose some interest in the game. And I really hope Wizards does something to combat that, where we have maybe more of an eternal-type format for Arena. Give mm-hmm. it some staying power, in a sense. Yeah, Magic's been the biggest that it's been in a long time, if not ever. And they've got a lot going on as well with the new Netflix series, and Red Bull is going to sponsor some tournaments and such, and and just a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. It would be a shame if they didn't also kind of change with the times in this new digital space. Right. Um, speaking of the Netflix series, now that's something I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, they seem to have a great group of producers. They've got the guys that did Endgame, fantastic movie. They've got mm-hmm. um, some people from the Clone Wars series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little disappointed that the animation studio is not the same one that Netflix used for Castlevania. I don't know if you've seen that series. But no, that's, I, I didn't, but I yeah. but I looked really nice. Beautiful animation. And I'm not not to um, diss on the studio that's doing it. It's just I really do like the Castlevania animation. I was kind of hiking my fingers crossed when I was reading that list. But um, I didn't hear about Red Bull. Red Bull sponsoring some tournaments. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Red Bull untapped. They uh, did an announcement, and they've got the prize pool and all that fun stuff. And interestingly, they had an animated trailer for their event. So you've got to look it up. Uh, the animation to. style in there is really different than what you'd expect because, you know, we have the photorealistic CGI style that we have that, you know, the, the War of the Spark trailer that everyone loved. Um, this is completely trailer, yeah. the opposite of that. It is much more stylized. It is much more cartoony, but it's still interesting to look at. And it would be hilarious if the Netflix series were in this animation style. I, I think I don't think people would like it, but I'm, I like weird things. So... Uh, that'd be interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll have to take a, a look after this conversation at this this new trailer. That's so cool. I'm so excited to watch that. Mm-hmm. Any uh, final thoughts on Modern Horizons? I'm excited. I think it'll bring some much-needed refreshment to the format. I think it's interesting that we're dodging standard for the first time ever, I think, in a new set. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be inexperience i hope nothing is too broken i hope nothing has to get banned i hate it when cards have to get banned it's always a feels bad moment for everyone involved Mm -hmm. but i want to see the format flourish i love modern i love watching modern i love playing modern and hopefully um it'll maintain some sort of semblance of a healthy format 
yeah, in my play group, um, everyone mostly plays modern because they keep to keep they get to keep playing with their cards. So I know that there's a lot of people in there uh, that are. Uh, eager to play with these uh we've got angie the sliver queen she loves slivers so there's a bunch of new slivers that she can add to her deck and torment us with right and that's i think i think that wizards can really capitalize on that they haven't just too much is that we have a lot of old modern legal cards that haven't been reprinted that are very expensive and wizards time and time again have said that they ignore the secondary market and i want to see them reprint fetch lands in a, maybe like in a modern horizons format Mm-hmm. Print so much value that these cards become cheaper because I want more people to play my formats. I want a more diverse cast of people. I love playing with the people that play already, but I would I don't care how much my cards are worth as long as there are other people to play with, right? Mm-hmm. And I think making formats more accessible is the best way to do that. It's the best way to sell cards. It's just it's healthier for everyone all around. I agree. Now, if you can quantify it. Um, your hype level for Modern Horizons, what would you say on a scale from 1 to 9,000? 1 to 9,000. Um, I can't say it's over 9,000 because okay. it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's quite the event, right? Modern Horizons is a format. It's a set that we haven't seen in a very long time. I love Time Spiral. I love the design space. I love what they've done with Modern Horizons. I'm upset at the pack prices. They don't need to make them as expensive as they have, but mm-hmm. they still do for whatever reason. I would say I'm sitting at a solid one to nine thousand, probably a solid six or seven thousand, right? I haven't rushed out to go buy a booster box, but I'm probably I'm definitely gonna pick up some singles um, with some prices drop. Mm-hmm. The new red and six looks really interesting. Maybe I'll build mm-hmm. an oathbreaker deck around that. Mm-hmm. Some sort of degenerate um, crop rotation type thing where I play a bunch of lands and blow up everyone else's lands. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it's a lot of opportunity for a lot of people, for commander players. For um, legacy players, for modern players, for maybe even new formats, seeing in the mm-hmm. future. But yeah, whatever, whatever will happen, we know it's on the horizon. So <laughs> I'm also pretty, pretty high on it, I suppose. Uh, Eight thousand or so, I suppose. Eight <laughs> or seven. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's fun. It's interesting cards, cool art as usual, and I think it gives them the space to reprint. Uh, either older cards or maybe even functional reprints of things. That'd be nice. Right, like the new um, Deranged Hermit, I believe, um, mm-hmm. where it's a little better, dare I say, with I think it was fading now, mm-hmm. rather than an echo cost with mm-hmm. the squirrels and all that. But yeah, yes. I'd like to see functional reprints, strictly better cards, a little bit of a, um, a shout-out to those who play squirrel decks or yes. those who play tribes that uh like morophon those who play tribes that are not as appreciated as they should be mm-hmm. so i'm excited yeah speaking of squirrels i was looking through my old cards the other day and uh, i bought like one booster of unglued back in the day and that was from 1998 and i had it in a in a notebook and i was looking through it and i said oh i have a sheep token and a squirrel token so apparently i have one of the original uh, squirrel tokens from back in the day so that i'll put that into my my current squirrel builds that's awesome yeah i mean that's got to be a rare token right i haven't seen one of those in the wild in a really long time and that's yeah. exciting always going through your cards and finding something kind of rare even if it's not super valuable i think i have a 8-8 multicolored token from um the card god sire i don't know mm-hmm. if you know the card from alara somehow it made its way into my collection at some point in time huh. and I don't, it's not a super valuable token. It's not a super rare. It's not. It's a super rare token, though, right? It's from a mythic level card in Alara, and I haven't seen anyone else have one of those. So it's it's cool, right? It's always cool having unique cards, even if they don't 
worth too much. Well, I'm sure also the like the nostalgia factor is is pretty high on those. Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, I don't know about your opinion, but um, they started doing uh, not started doing. I think it was around cons. They they did the little silver rare thing at the bottom of rares and mythics. Yeah. Um, trying to designate hard to make it harder to um to copy or um produce non Wizards of the Coast trademarked cards. Mm-hmm. But I really like the old cards. I like how they look. I like their borders. Um, there's something very nostalgic about it, right? That's when I got into Magic around the time of Zendikar and Rise of the Eldrazi. And it's it's always something to go back on and look upon fondly. Mm-hmm. After the conversation, you've got to look up this old card called Soul Exchange. That's Soul the Ch- one that gets me a lot of the nostalgia because it came from an old, old set, Fallen Empires, which oftentimes is regarded as one of the worst sets. Um, but the art of it is just beautiful, so evocative. Actually, let's pause right now. Go look at the card right now. because I, I, have, it, I have it up right now, and it's, it's just something incredible. They can't ever print a card like this in today's day and age, right? There is literally a dead guy on the stairs and his blood seeping into the, stair, into, the, into the bricks, and he's exchanging the blood of one character into another character who's in a grave, and it's like this beautiful angle and everything, and it's just like, I love that art. The effect is kind of interesting, but like that comes from, if you go to the original printing, you're probably seeing the Master's Edition printing, and you know, the original Fallen Empire's printing is not that different, but it's like at the original font, the original frame, and that old Fallen Empire symbol, which they never color-coded back in the day so you don't know if this right. is co- common or rare or what but that's the card that like i have in my memory from playing back in the 90s and i still have a copy of it it's all beat up but i still <laughs> i still have that copy yeah it's evocative right and that uh, the artwork is is beautiful in its own right and speaking of evocative and beautiful artwork um seb mckinnon yeah um has been doing some incredible work for magic recently mm-hmm. some of his artwork is some of the best in fantasy i think some of his um, the new card he printed, the the black free spell from Modern Horizons, um, his stasis promo mm-hmm. on Magic the Gathering Online, just some of it is incredible. And just pulling up Semikin artwork, you can just see some of it toppelgeist. He just has such a style behind him, and it reminds me of old Magic. Yeah. Yeah, on a previous uh, episode, we talked about how, yes, the modern art, today's art is, is amazing. You know, the people are very, very, very talented. But I would wish that they sometimes they were a little bit more uh, along the edges of, of artsiness rather than realism. And Seb McKinnon is one's someone's art that just stands out. Every time you see it, it's like, wow, this doesn't look like anything else. And I love it. Who's the artist? Oh, Seb McKinnon, again. I just wish they, I, I, with another guest, I said, what if they had Seb McKinnon do one of the Planeswalker cards? You know, one of these that everyone wants and loves and, and is so powerful. Let's do it with one of these arts that is not one of the realistic styles. I think that'd be uh, pretty amazing. Right. He did um, Eminatu from the... Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Com- yeah. And I would love to see him do some standard cards, maybe a legendary creature, because every time I see his artwork, like I love, you know, Therese Nielsen has some incredible artwork. Noah Bradley... Um, John Avon, but so mm-hmm. some just something about Sam McKinnon that makes me come back to his artwork every time, and you just see such such beauty in what he paints. And every time he paints something, it's so unique and stylized, but you still know that's him. Mm-hmm. And I just I could look at his artwork all day, mm-hmm. honestly. Same here. So I think we're both in agreement. Um, Seb McKinnon should do the art for all of the next set. <laughs> I mean, he's he's getting there. What he had like uh, I think he had four or five cards for this most recent set. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot of new stuff. Yeah, I'm glad to see that he has more artwork in Magic. Mm-hmm. I like this art direction they're going in. Mm-hmm. 
uh, sp- speaking of which, uh, do you know if any uh, of his works are any in in any of these art cards that they're giving you in in the booster packs? Yes, um, Soul Herder comes to mind. When oh, I think okay. of that. Yeah. Post that in our, our Discord chat right now. It's um, it's the new blue white blink creature from Modern Horizons that I forgot to mention, but I am very excited for it. It's got this beautiful artwork, um, super evocative, and just every time. Those new art cards are really cool. I haven't had the chance to open up any packs in real life, but from what I've seen, the new art cards are really cool. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them, but I'm I'm glad that they're incorporating them into these booster packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to pick up a few boosters and let's see what I pull, but they're really nice, and um, I hope to, to get a few good ones. Yeah, same here. Good luck on that. Mm-hmm. Well, as we wind down, would you like to take a moment to promote anything again? Any websites or anywhere people uh, can go check you out? Sure. I mean, as I've mentioned, um, Lightning Holt Altars is my webpage currently. I took a little bit of a break this past school year, um, but I've caught up with life. I'm kind of back into it, and I'm back into accepting commissions. Um, and I'm you know, back in the swing of things. You know, it's summer. It's a mm-hmm. time to kind of pursue our, our hobbies and play more magic. So the best time of the year great i hope to have you on again a little bit sooner than uh, half a year between uh, visits sure yeah i'd love to love to talk again it's always great mm-hmm. talking with members of the community and uh, sharing opinions and experiences mm-hmm. as for myself i'm over on twitter twitter.com slash vm campus i have a website vmcampus.com, which i should update more often I stream every Saturday, 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. Pacific time over on YouTube. So youtube.com slash vmcampusjr. And I also do a Patreon. If people join up on the Patreon uh, for a dollar, they can get some exclusive content. If they go to the $2 range, they can actually, I'll I'll mail them a vintage magic card from back in the day. Uh, No, not a Black Lotus. And uh, if and if they don't uh, subscribe, they can uh, just follow on Patreon because I consolidate all my stuff, my magic stuff, video game stuff, uh, comic book stuff, all in one place for free, and you get a lot of great free stuff. So that's one of the places, best places you can find me. patreoncom vmcampos. Well, Ben, thank you so much again for being on the podcast. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great opportunity. I hope to speak again sooner again than half a year. Yes. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena. Take care.